Welcome to the Pearl of Great Price podcast. Thanks for joining us today. It's October the 27th and on this day in Christian history, we go back to the year 312 and we travel to the Milvian Bridge in the north of Rome, Italy, on the eve of a battle between Constantine and the Roman Emperor Maxentius. Maxentius had reigned for six years, but the latter part of his reign was preoccupied with civil war allying with Maximinius against Licinius and Constantine. Constantine's army had marched on Rome and it was expected that Maxentius would remain in the well-defended city and sit out a siege which could cost his enemy much more. However, for some reason he abandoned this plan He had consulted soothsayers before the battle, and it can be assumed that they reported favourable omens, especially as the day of the battle would be his dies imperi, the day of his accession to the throne, which had been on the 28th of October in the year 306. With the armies preparing on the eve of the battle, Constantine had some important experience which led him to fight totally unexpectedly, under the protection of the Christian God. According to the historian Lactantius, Constantine was commanded in a dream to delineate the heavenly sign on the shields of his soldiers. He marked the shield with a sign of the cross denoting Christ. Another version of what happened has been written by Eusebius, who recounts that Constantine and his soldiers had a vision. According to this version, they were marching when they looked up at the sun and saw a cross of light above it, and with it the Greek words, Entutu Nika, translated as, In this sign you shall conquer. At first Constantine was unsure of the meaning of the apparition, But the following night he had a dream in which Christ explained to him that he should use the sign against his enemies. The sign of the Cairo, the first two letters of Christ's name in Greek, was painted on the soldiers' shields. The accounts of the two contemporary authors, though not entirely consistent, have been merged into the popular notion of Constantine seeing the Cairo sign in one form or another on the evening before the battle. The Cairo is one of the earliest forms of Christogram, formed by superimposing the first two capital letters, Chi and Rho, which look like an X and a P, of the Greek word Christos. The sign was not widely understood to denote Christ, although it was often used underground amongst the Christians in times of persecution, and it was already being used in the catacombs along with other special symbols to mark or to decorate Christian tombs. The catacombs in Rome run deep and are at least 20 metres underground, and many are around 20 kilometres long, where more than 50 martyrs and 16 pontiffs amongst thousands of Christians were buried. They form part of a complex graveyard that occupies 15 hectares and a testament to the extent of the persecution against the early Christians. 
Constantine's forces defeated Maxentius's troops, who retreated to the Tiber. And in the chaos of the fleeing army trying to cross the river, Maxentius fell into the water and drowned. His body was found the next day and paraded through the city. His head later sent to Africa as a sign that he had surely perished. Following the battle, Constantine performed an adventus, a ceremonial entrance to the city, and arriving inside of Rome's walls, he ignored the altars to the gods prepared on the Capitoline, and he did not carry out the customary sacrifices to celebrate a general's victory, victorious entry into Rome. Instead, he headed directly to the imperial palace. The Arch of Constantine, erected in celebration of the victory, certainly attributes Constantine's success to divine intervention. However, the monument does not display any overtly Christian symbolism. The battle marked the beginning of Constantine's conversion to Christianity, and he was the first Roman emperor to convert to Christianity and played an influential role in the proclamation of the Edict of Milan in the year 313, which declared tolerance for Christianity in the Roman Empire. Constantine also convoked the First Council of Nicaea, which produced a statement of Christian belief known as the Nicene Creed, still publicly recited by many Christians. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem was built on his orders at the purported site of Jesus' tomb and it became the holiest place in Christendom. Constantine now is venerated as a saint in the Orthodox Church, whereas his mother Helena is recognised as a saint across the major denominations, Catholic, Protestant and Orthodox. In her final years, Helena made a religious tour of Syria, Palestine and Jerusalem, during which ancient tradition claims that she discovered the true cross. When Helena visited Jerusalem, it was still being rebuilt following the destruction caused by Titus in the year 70 AD. Hadrian had built a temple to Venus over the supposed site of Jesus' tomb near Calvary. Helena ordered the temple torn down, and she chose the site to begin excavating which led to the recovery of three different crosses. When they were discovered, the Empress refused to be swayed by anything short of solid proof and performed the test. Possibly through Bishop Macarius of Jerusalem, she had a woman who was near to death brought from the city. And when the woman touched the first and the second crosses, her condition did not change, but when she touched the third and final cross, she suddenly recovered. Helena declared the cross with which the woman had been touched to be the true cross. And on the site of its discovery, Constantine ordered the building of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. During the long 31-year reign of the Emperor Constantine, Christianity began to transition to the dominant religion of the Roman Empire. Constantine's decision to cease the persecution of Christians 
was a turning point for early Christianity. There is no consensus among scholars as to whether he adopted his mother Helena's Christianity in his youth, or, as claimed by Eusebius, encouraged her to convert to the faith that he had adopted himself. Christianity expanded throughout the empire. However, Constantine only declared himself a Christian after issuing the Edict of Milan and was baptised only on his deathbed, spending most of his adult life as a catechumen. It's quite possible that he believed that if he waited to get baptised on his deathbed, he was in less danger of polluting his soul with sin and not getting to heaven. In 313, Constantine and his counterpart Licinius in the East announced that it was proper that the Christians and all others should have liberty to follow that mode of religion which to them appears the best, thereby granting torrents of all religions, including Christianity. Thus the Edict of Milan went a step further than the earlier Edict of Serdica, which two years before had returned confiscated church property. It was the Edict of Thessalonica in the year 380 that made Christianity the state religion. But the Edict of Milan did raise the stock of Christianity within the empire, but it was a gradual process. Roman coins minted up to eight years after the battle still bore the images of Roman gods. The Persian Empire, perennially at war with Rome, had usually tolerated Christianity. But with the gradual establishment of Christianity as the state religion of the Roman Empire, Christians in Persia would be regarded as allies of Persia's ancient enemy. And Constantine is said to have written to Shapur II and urged him to protect Christians under his rule. Constantine supported the church financially, had a number of basilicas built, granted privileges for example, exemption from certain taxes to clergy, promoted Christians to high-ranking offices and returned property confiscated during the great persecution of Diocletian. And he endowed the church with land and other wealth. Between the years 324 and 330, Constantine built a new city, New Rome, at Byzantium on the Bosporus, which would be named Constantinople for him. Unlike old Rome, the city began to employ overtly Christian architecture and contained churches within the city walls and had no pre-existing temples from other religions. According to Eusebius, Constantine had commissioned him to deliver 50 volumes of scriptures for the churches of Constantinople, which were to be bound in leather and easily portable. Athanasius records around 340 Alexandrian scribes preparing Bibles for Constantinople. Constantine's laws enforced and reflected his Christian attitudes. Crucifixion was abolished for reasons of Christian piety but was replaced with hanging to demonstrate the preservation of Roman supremacy. On March the 7th in the year 321, Sunday, which was sacred to Christians as the day of Christ's resurrection, but also to the Roman god Sol Invictus, was declared an official day of rest. On that day markets were banned 
and public offices were closed, except for the purposes of freeing slaves. There were however no restrictions on performing farming work, which was done by the great majority of the population on Sundays. Some laws made during his his reign were even humane in the modern sense and supported tolerance, possibly inspired by his Christianity. For example, a prisoner was no longer to be kept in total darkness, but must be given the outdoors and daylight. A condemned man was allowed to die in the arena, but he could not be branded on his heavenly beautified face, since God was supposed to have made man in his image, but only on his feet. Publicly displayed gladiatorial games were ordered to be eliminated in the year 325. That's all from the Pearl of Great Price today. Thanks for listening. Join us tomorrow if you can. To look at the election of John the Twenty-Third as Pope, who became known as Good Pope John. This month we've surpassed 10,000 downloads, so thank you to listeners from all over the world for your interest. Today a special thank you to our listeners in Southend-on-Sea in England, and congratulations on receiving city status after the terrible murder of their Christian MP. And also thank you to our listeners in Los Angeles in California. Our archives can be found at www.pogp.net and if you have time please subscribe, share the podcast with friends and have a lovely day wherever you are and thanks for listening.